Cornerstone, it is so good to be with you this morning. How is everyone doing this very hot June day? Summer's here. It's here. Yeah. Uh, today is uh, June 6th, 2021, and we are in um, a summer sermon series where we are talking about Cornerstone's core values. And we start this month talking about the core value of identity and family inviting belonging. This is one of the values that Cornerstone holds dear um, as we move towards our vision and mission. And it just so also happens to coincide with today being um, part of an important um, component of Cornerstone's liturgical rhythm, which is state of the family. We do this every year. Um, we do a state of the family uh, assessment, and, and the sermon is around state of the family. I am Barry. I am one of the elders here at Cornerstone. I currently have the privilege of serving as the lead elder, um, so the, the honor of giving the state of the family address uh, falls on me today, and I'm just really thrilled to, to be able to do that, and I'm really glad to be with you. There's a lot of ground to cover, so let's get started. God, would you please be present in this room? God, we're grateful for the way that you have knitted us together as a family. We're grateful for the way that you serve as the head of this family, God. We pray that the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts today would be pleasing to you, God, that it would rise to you as a pleasing aroma. God, thank you for this family. Uh, thank you for grafting us as a part of it. We love you. We worship you today. In your name we pray. Amen. Today, as part of the state of the family, we are going to engage in a liturgical rhythm. Um, so there's going to be some participation. We're going to engage in the, the written word, the spoken word, and hopefully some testimony as well. And we're going to close today um, with communion, the sacrament of communion. As we do the state of the family every year, it is appropriate for us to um, assess where we are currently. But as part of the state of the family, we also want to look back. We want to look where we are present and also anticipate the future to the degree that we are possible. Now, I do not have the specific gifting of giving like a major prophetic word for Cornerstone's future, nor am I going to spend a lot of time talking about the long history of where Cornerstone has been. But rather today, what I want to do is take a snapshot. Look at Cornerstone, where we are right now, where we have been in the immediate past, and what we believe is coming for the immediate future. Okay? So let's dive right in. State of the family, reflecting back. State of the family from uh, March 2020 until June 2021. How would we describe what has happened with this church? How would we describe what has happened with our world? One very simple thing that we could say. And it has been the dominating thing, and I, I don't even want to talk about it, but we have to talk about it. Since March of 2020 through now, you know that we have been going through the COVID-19 pandemic. The COVID-19 pandemic has defined so much of what has happened here at Cornerstone. It's defined every aspect of your life, your work, your home, all the things that you have done. And the COVID-19 pandemic has been characterized by a number of things, including suffering, separation, Loss in general, lack of connection, we experienced that, everyone experienced that, and, and, and worst of all, COVID-19 has resulted in the death of a lot and a lot of people. We have each engaged that on very different individual levels, right? Some of you have experienced all of these things. Some of us have not experienced each and every one of these things. For those of you that may work in the medical profession, you've experienced probably the worst of these. In your private life, you have seen people die over the past year. 
It has been hard. There's been suffering. And the suffering isn't just what comes from COVID-19, but the suffering comes from all of the rest of that, right? Because suffering at its very core is a measure of loss. We all lose something. We have all lost something in the past year. And that has, in some large measure, defined us even as a church family. We are a family. We meet together. We missed meeting together, right? We missed all of those things. And most of us, perhaps, experience something in our private life of the loss of death. We know somebody that did not make it through. And so it would be easy for us as a family of Cornerstone to define our past year, our past 14 or 15 months, by the COVID-19 pandemic. But I would like for us to think of it in a different way. I'm reminded of, um, I think it was March 11th. It was our last Vesper service during the Lent season prior to the the pandemic shutting everything down. And I was given the task of praying over Cornerstone in that Vesper service. And we knew that this was coming. And there was a lot that we didn't know, but a lot we were anticipating. I remember praying, and I kept these notes in my Bible, fully anticipating that over the next few months, Cornerstone would lose someone. Because we didn't know what this was about. And I remember praying, Have mercy on us, O holy God, but we will follow you where you lead, whether in the bounty of life or through the valley of the shadow of death, for you are with us. And that was good news. (laughs) The goodness of God is that he would go with us into that place. And I remember that. That was March 11th. On March 13th, everything shut down. Everything shut down. Our vespers shut down. Our services shut down. Everything shut down. But I'd like to offer a new perspective of the way that we can look back on the last 14 or 15 months. And that's delivered from the COVID-19 pandemic. I don't know if you all realize this, but this family of Cornerstone, the one that we have chosen to be together and bind ourselves to in the family of God, do you realize that no one in this family died? We lost nobody. Churches down the road lost people. Churches all over our country lost people. Church families in other parts of the world. I think of India. I think of what Mike and Laura have brought. And our brothers and sisters in India are suffering on a level that we can't even begin to scratch the surface of. But Cornerstone, God delivered us from that. Every single person that was here on March 11th is here today. And it would be, yes, thank you, celebrate, yeah. Yes, yes. And it would be easy for us to say, ah, that was us, you know. We took the right precautions. We made good decisions. We had good leaders. And, and, and all of that is maybe a component of it. But we all know that this virus was fickle. And this virus is brutal. And it doesn't pay attention to whether you take precautions or not. Some of the people that took the best precautions fell ill and died. Some of the people that took no precautions at all sailed through the entire year with nothing at all. But God delivered us. There's no explanation in my mind except that God chose to take this family and say, I'm bringing you through without that loss. And so, yes, we can praise God. Because God is fundamentally a deliverer. The story of the Bible from the start to the finish is a story of God intervening on behalf of his people to deliver them 
from trial. He doesn't deliver everyone in the way that we think that he should, but God is a deliverer. This week, I hope you had the opportunity to read through the book of Exodus. There is no other story in Scripture, with maybe one exception, of God's deliverance than the story of Exodus. And it begins, really, in Exodus chapter 12. And in Exodus chapter 12, we see the story of God's people, right? They are in Egypt. They went to Egypt to find refuge, a place of refuge. But over time, Scripture tells us that the kings, the pharaohs of Egypt, had forgotten the holy God. And over time, as the people of Israel began to grow and grow and grow and grow, the Egyptians became nervous and eventually enslaved them and had them do all of their heavy labor for them. And Exodus tells us the story of the way that God chose to deliver his people from the bondage of slavery. It tells us the story of how he raised up Moses, and Moses then brought along Aaron. And Moses and Aaron went to the Pharaoh and said, Pharaoh, let my people go. God says this. And Pharaoh hardened his heart nine times. And it took nine plagues until the tenth plague when God sent the angel of death and took the firstborn of all of the land of Egypt. And Exodus tells us that he treated his people differently. He chose to deliver them by giving them the instruction of a Passover lamb where they would take the blood and put it over the door frames of their house. And they participated in a specific meal of Passover prior to the angel of death coming. And when the angel of death came, it saw the blood It saw God's people, his chosen select, to be delivered from what was happening, and he passed over. And the next morning, Egypt was in turmoil because everyone lost something except the people of God. And Pharaoh said, go, get out of here, leave. And God delivered his people, and they took off, and they plundered Egypt. All of the gold, not all of it, but most of that gold they brought with them. They not only left as free people, but they left as rich free people across the desert towards the Red Sea. And as they're at the Red Sea, Pharaoh has a change of mind and says, what am I doing letting these people go? Let's go get them. It brings his army, chases them to the Red Sea. The people see the army coming, and what does God do? God delivers them again. He does the impossible and chooses to split the Red Sea so that all of his people could walk through. And they walk through, and the Bible says they walk through on dry land. Not only did he split the sea, but there was no mud. They walked across on dry land. They got to the other side. And just as Pharaoh's army comes into the bank of the Red Sea, Moses raises his hands and the waters cover them, sweep the entire army away. And God delivered his people one more time. And then the story of Exodus continues and continues and continues. They wander for 40 years. He takes them to the promised land. There's a lot that goes in it. But family, the story of the Exodus, if you want to understand the rest of the Bible and the rest of God's desire for the heart and his heart for his people, understand Exodus. Because it was with the Exodus from Egypt that the people of God for hundreds and thousands of years remembered God as deliverer. And they remembered the story of the Exodus. They told the story. They practiced the Passover. They practiced the Feast of the Unleavened Bread to remember and remember and remember that God delivered us from slavery. He delivered us from bondage and brought us to freedom. And if you want to understand any aspect of human deliverance even today, understand Exodus. Because it is the perfect picture of the way that God delivers his people. Whatever it is that we're delivered from, God operates the same way. God delivers with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. Scripture says that over and over and over and over again. On your bulletin, on the back of it, you can see a list of scriptures 
where God says that he delivers with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. And the people of God remembered that. They deliberately remembered that. And so Cornerstone family, I want to say that the past, that's what he did for us. What he did for the people of Egypt in Exodus 12, 13, 14, and 15 is exactly what he chose to do with us. So would you stand and join me in a responsive reading? We are going to read the song that the people of Israel sang after God delivered them. Now the words are about the specific exodus from Egypt, but family, I want you to read these words and celebrate these words in the same sense that God just delivered us from what we experienced. You will read the bold on the right side. I will read the text on the left. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them, and I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You blew your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Peoples have heard, they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as stone till your people, O Lord, pass by, till the people pass by whom you have purchased. For when the horses of Pharaoh and his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. And all together, sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The word of the Lord. Yes, thanks be to God. You may sit down. So that's where we were. Looking back, where are we today? Acknowledging the present, and it says up there, as people being delivered. 
Today is June 6th. It also happens to be, for those history buffs like me, D-Day. This is the day that in Europe, for 77 years, people have celebrated the landing of allied forces on the beaches of Normandy to deliver the people of Europe from the clutches of Nazi Germany. June 6, 1944 was day one <laughs> of a long, long, long fight. But it's remembered today as the day of deliverance. The D in D-Day, in D you know what it stands for? Day. <laughs> yeah, it stands for day. But I like to think deliverance because it represents the day of deliverance. But there was still work to be done. And we acknowledge, in looking back at the pandemic, the pandemic is not over. <laughs> we are not fully through it. Work continues. God's deliverance continues for our people. But where are we today as people being delivered? We are reunited, mostly. <laughs> there are still folks at home on the live stream. We cannot wait to see you again. But we've been reunited. We are seeing each other's faces. We are re-engaging mission. March 11th, we were in the midst, as a Cornerstone family, of going through a process of looking at our vision, looking at our mission, looking at our core values, and saying, yes, Cornerstone, yes, God, this is where you want this family to go. And then it was interrupted, right? We're back together. We're re-engaging mission. We're in a series now where we're talking about our core values, mission, and vision. We're re-engaging that mission. And in the process of that, the elders and the people have discerned that our family is in need of somebody else. We need help. So right now, Cornerstone, we are in the process. Your elder team is in the process with our apostolic oversight team of identifying a new pastor that will come to this body, to this family. We will welcome this pastor into this family, and that person will be part of this family because we need help. We are looking for somebody to come to help spur us on to that mission. That's one of the things that's happening right now. And we're going to keep you updated. We're moving. We're moving. God is moving. God is moving. And we will keep you updated on that. We are re-engaging mission. At the same time, I have a question. Are we divided in heart, in mind, in spirit? It doesn't take much to look at the world around us and see how much division there is in the world, right? I have been pondering this and meditating on this for about 14 months to see what it is, I think, my discernment of what is causing much of this division. And, and this is not to say that these things are present in Cornerstone, but because we are part of our broader culture, it is likely that these things are part of Cornerstone. And I would submit to you, family, that the two things that are guiding people now, and have been guiding people for a long time, are fear and pride. As we went through the pandemic, and even as we exist today, these two things have been guiding people more than anything else. Fear and pride. And when I say that, I don't want you to immediately hear negativity. Fear and pride are both human emotions. They are both emotions that God instilled in his people. We can have pride in the family of God. We can be proud of who God is. God tells us to fear him. Even Jesus himself, prior to the cross, experienced fear. To experience fear and to experience pride are not sin. The problem is when we are guided by fear or guided by pride. When the decisions that we make are guided by the fear of loss, 
whether it's loss of material things or even life itself, if our decisions are guided by that, if our decisions are guided by pride to say, I know what's best and no one can tell me what to do or how to live, the problem is that those produce a cycle of self-preservation and self-reliance. Because when you are afraid, you seek to preserve what is important to you. And you go through that process of grasping at everything that you can to try to preserve those things. Conversely, if you're operating and guided by pride, you believe that no one else can tell you what to do because I am reliant on myself. And I will continue to be reliant on myself. And I will continue and continue and continue. And the problem with both fear and pride, as they exist in our land today, as I suspect they exist within our family, is that both of these are focused on self. They are focused inward and not outward. The fear of loss and self-preservation calls us to only look here and not look elsewhere. Our, our pride and our self-reliance causes us to look here and not look else, elsewhere, to look outward. And it's a cycle and I want to tell you, family, that self-reliance and, and self-preservation, fear and pride, are just two sides of the same coin. They are closely, closely related. And I've experienced this personally and very deeply over the last year. I experience it even today. And if you want a test of it, I want you to honestly think how many times over the past year and even currently, if you believe if you believe that precautions against COVID are important, how many times were you in a store and saw somebody not wearing a mask and said in your heart, just wear a mask? Fear turns to pride. If you believe that we are self-sufficient, that we can rely on ourselves and our own decisions, let me ask you, family, how many times in the last 14 months and even presently have you been concerned about your freedom, that you might lose it? Fear and pride are two sides of the same coin, and each just gives way to a cycle of the other. And I suspect, because this is in our culture, that it is also here. Evidence, do I have any? Well, about three months ago, we sent out a survey <laughs> to Cornerstone. Where are you? What do you think about masking, about regathering, about the process that we can do this stuff. And this is a diagram, a chart, of one of the responses. And the question up there is, assuming our most at-risk cornerstone population has been vaccinated or has the opportunity to elect vaccination, please check all of the following cornerstone gatherings that you would attend. And we, perhaps naively, set out to think, maybe God's going to give us a clear picture of where we can go. And, and and there is no judgment. There is no judgment at all. Do not hear judgment about where you fell in this and how you responded. Do not hear judgment. There is no judgment. And it doesn't matter what each of those is. The colors just give you a vivid representation that we are all over the place. That we do not see this world singularly. There is not a single way that each of us views the world. Each of us is influenced by fear. Each of us is in influenced by pride. And this causes this thing, which is okay. It's okay. As I said, it was probably naive. 
if you were to look at our whole society and culture and did a thing similar to that, it'd probably look exactly the same, right? So it is here, it is present. It is part of who we are as a people. It is something we need to wrestle with. And there are legitimate reasons to continue to hold on to fear and some pride. But we cannot let them direct us. But it's not all negative, Cornerstone. Family, I want to share this as well. Respondent 15, I don't know who you are, and if you're Respondent 15, please don't raise your hand and please don't tell me who it is, because in my mind it's all of you. (laughs) Respondent 15 said this. Participating in massless gatherings does make me a bit nervous, but honestly, I'll go to Cornerstone's gatherings, however these gatherings may be managed. I'm grateful for all those who participated in the mass gatherings, though they did not see the point in masks or felt uncomfortable with them. Now that the need for masks may be lessening, perhaps I need to be willing to work with the changing mandates too. Respondent 15, I love you. (laughs) When I read this, I cried. I cried because this is a representation of Cornerstone's heart, our family. While fear and pride may exist in here, this summarizes a lot of what we as elders experienced from you, our brothers and sisters, our family. This is the heart posture that says, ah, I've got this fear. I've got this fear, but I see my brothers and sisters. And within this statement is also the acknowledgement that for 12 months, this church was filled with people that had so much pride. I can do this. I'm reliant. And every week they came in their masks. Not because we mandated it, but because we asked them to. And you showed up. And you said, despite my pride, I will submit myself to my brothers and sisters. And so Cornerstone family, this is where we are. (laughs) Wrestling with fear and pride, wrestling with self-reliance and self-preservation, this is equally where we are. And this only comes because of God and because of who he is. Beautiful picture. And I view all of you as Respondent 15, and I hope you all are. Apart from that, we are now, as a family, in a season of sabbatical. I am giving the State of the Family address today because our pastor, Justin, is on sabbatical. And you think, man, it's crazy to send your only full-time pastor on sabbatical. Uh, I will tell you that if we didn't do that, Cornerstone would not be Cornerstone. (laughs) We're in a season of sabbatical. Justin is taking a break, four months, and a break is a bad word. Justin is on sabbatical. He's exploring and he's chasing after God and he's letting God chase after him. He is chasing after Naomi and they are chasing after their kids together. They're exploring adventure and all these things. And when Justin comes back in four months, he's gonna be different and and Naomi will be different and those girls will be different and we will be different because he's calling us to a different place of rhythm a different rest. And we know that sabbatical and rest means that we move at the pace of God. And right now, Cornerstone is moving at a different pace. We are all moving at a different pace. And this is sabbatical. And we're a month through it. <laughs> we got three to go. And it's, and it's been good. It's been great. It's been good. And, and we pray that it's been good for the boyers as well. But at the same time, I ask the question, are we actually resting? This has... I have never personally experienced a more busy time. I have never had more demands on my time. I have never experienced a rhythm that is as fast as this one is in my entire life that I can recall. And it has been difficult, admittedly, for me to find rest. I imagine that as we moved out of pandemic, where when you're inside the pandemic, everything 
was like swirling. Everything was hitting us, and it didn't seem very restful. But at the same time, we were home. (laughs) We weren't going to work. We were working at home. There was a restful piece of it. Now that the pandemic is over, everyone's scheduling meetings. Everyone is doing everything, and we're inserted right back into that old rhythm pre-pandemic, right? And I can imagine that there's not a lot of rest. I don't know for a fact, but I suspect. At our Vision Sunday, we, we offered um, this observation of what we believe God was calling us to. As a summary of what our pastors had brought, we posed these questions for rest in this season of sabbatical and this season of rest post-pandemic. How has the Lord refreshed your vision? How have you found yourself embodying worship? What idols of image, glory, and perfection have been toppled? What have you released? How have you ceased resisting? Family, I pose those questions to you again. Over the last couple of weeks, those questions were sent to you over email. And one of the reasons I suspect that we may not be resting is because I cannot count the number of responses I got. Because you can't count zero. And again, do not hear judgment. If we're not resting, it's good to know that we're not resting. But it's good to be reminded of the place that God wants us to go to. I will share with you, even in this busy space, how God has led me into some minor ways of rest. Personal. As I said, a very busy period, but in one way that I've ceased resisting is that most of my adult Christian life, I was saved when I was 13. I have purposely, like a fool, Proverbs would say, resisted the practice of reading my Bible every day. Because believe it or not, regardless of what you know of me, I do not like external standards being put on me. And I would resist it. I had loved to read when I wanted to. I would study when I wanted to. But I resisted this rhythm. Because you can't tell me what it means to be a Christian. And I would resist it, and I finally decided, you know what, I'm just going to read the Bible every morning. (laughs) I'm going to get up. Before I do anything else with my day, I'm going to read the Bible. And let me tell you, family, it has been amazing. I remember, I think it was Laura last week that said, the more you engage the Word of God, the more you love to engage the Word of God. Is either you or Mike, I don't remember. It was a Borden. It's true, family. I can't get enough of Scripture right now. And, And in fact, I... When I'm at the gym or doing something else, I'll turn off the current events and politics podcast and I'll listen to the ESV in narrative form just because I can't get enough. I can't get enough. I've fallen in love with the book of numbers. Yeah. What have I released? I have found myself over the course of this past year being called to release allegiances. Allegiances to political parties, allegiances to government, allegiances to the flag which makes it really interesting in a school board meeting when I'm asked to lead the Pledge of Allegiance. But I've given up these allegiances. Um, I've decided that it's time for me to release those and find my identity and strength in God alone and not in the politics of the day, in the news of the day, or or a political party. Image of perfection. (laughs) As the lead elder, a lot has fallen on me um, during during the pandemic, and I've been struggling quite a bit with how do I lead Cornerstone perfectly. And Pastor Joy and Pastor Jim and the elder team have told me, it's not you, Barry, it's not you. You are not alone, and you are not the head of this church. Jesus is. 
And so that temple of perfection is being toppled. Another image of glory, temple of the image of glory is being toppled for me. It would take another 20 minutes, but God is doing a work in me on a personal temple of glory that I hope to share with you at some point. But um, it's been very painful, like the scales coming off the dragon in the, in the voyage of the dawn treader. We've talked about many times. It's like that, um, but it's good. And I'm finding rest. Even in this busy pace, I'm finding rest with God. And I invite you to do the same. Um, I'm going to ask that we join in another responsive reading. As we do this, I invite you to consider, and maybe you already have, you just didn't send an email, and that's totally cool. Maybe you've already considered these questions in your life. Um, We're gonna do a responsive reading. It's not gonna require a lot of you mentally, it's just gonna require a lot of your heart. While we do this, I want you to think about ways that maybe you have processed these questions of rest over the last few months. And we're going to have a time, open mic, we'll receive one or two testimonies. And if, and if the spirit moves three or four, tw- 20, maybe not 20, we don't have a lot of time. But if God has been speaking and showing you rest, we want to hear it, share it with the body, okay? And if he hasn't, that's okay. If you're like me, you might be tempted during the next couple of minutes to sit there and manufacture something, either to save the speaker from tension and uh, awkwardness, or because you think it's the thing that you need to do, and I'm inviting you to also not do that. Don't do that. Only speak if God has shown you rest. And if he hasn't, that's okay. It's good to know where you are. Okay? So we're going to do a responsive reading. We're going to open up a time of testimony. It will be limited and controlled. Please be conscious if you do share that other people may want to but I want to hear from um, some cornerstone. And if we sit in silence for a couple minutes, totally, totally fine, family. We can handle silence, okay? Please stand, responsive reading. This is out of Psalm 136. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of Lords. To him alone does great wonders. To him who by understanding made the heavens. To him who spread out the earth above the waters. To him who made the great lights. the sun to rule over the day, the moon and stars to rule over the night, to him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt and brought Israel out from among them with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. To him who divided the Red Sea in two and made Israel pass through the midst of it, but overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. To him who led his people through the wilderness. To him who struck down great kings. And killed mighty kings. 
Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, and gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to Israel, his servant. It is he who remembered us in our low estate and rescued us from our foes. He who gives food to all flesh. Altogether, give thanks to the God of heaven for his steadfast love endures forever. You may be seated. Is there anyone that has a story of rest that they would like to share with the family? Yes, Christy. I feel like my story has been ongoing for the last two years um, in the story of rest for myself. And I will be very, this is going to be a little emotional for me, so I'm sorry. But um, I can remember when we first sent our pastors at Cornerstone on sabbatical. And I can honestly say I really struggled with it at first, processing, like, how does that look for a pastor to um, step away from the church? And then, like, I question myself over and over, like, why do they do? But yet there's so many people within the church that work so diligently and hard within the church for the body and serving each other, and where is their time of rest too? And so I processed that. I prayed through it. I struggled with it. And um, for, for many years, it was just a constant of reminder of what is Sabbath. And as a nurse and working weekends, night shift, you are constantly serving other people in their hardest times of life. And so it was just a constant strain on me over the years. And I've really struggled with how do I just give that to the Lord? So about two years ago, I um, had a bit of an accident with my finger, and many of you do know um, that that actually really was the transforming part of my life in the Lord teaching me about sabbatical rest. And so because of my accident that was so fluky and stupid in so many different ways, it was really God's way of showing me rest because it was a portion of my life that for three months after my surgery that I couldn't do a single thing. Like even just simple things of taking a shower, my girls would have to help me out. You know, like very humbling moments because when it's your right hand and you're right-handed, you are done. You can't drive for three months. Are you kidding me? Like, do you understand, Lord, what I live through with my three children, a farm, working as a nurse, and all that I do? And so through that time, I really struggled with, okay, so there must be more to this than just um, me just having a fluky accident. So um, fast forward ahead a little bit. God taught me a ton through that time. Um, 
I've really worked through anger management because I definitely needed it um, with everything that I was involved in. I learned a lot about myself. But then I also learned, like, this time of rest was so important for myself. How do other people in my life who are walking the same insanity have that type of rest and have that gift provided to them? Never in a million years would I have said, oh, yeah, let's bring on a pandemic to rule the world. But it was like eye-opening to me, like, oh, my goodness, Lord, I'm scared to say this is what I prayed for. <laughs> Never would I have prayed for this. But it was an amazing gift to the world because out of the ashes of the garbage of disaster, because I saw it firsthand at the hospital and then how my life trans transformed through my sabbatical and rest time with my finger, it was amazing how people have transformed their lives through this time of rest and sabbatical with seeing how to be creative in producing beauty out of ashes. And so look around you in the creativity of how people have learned to do things differently with engaging each other with what they do in their job and the freedom that has actually come from it because you know I, I think of simple thing like my sister she now gets to work from home she doesn't have to drive to Harrisburg 45 minutes every day and she would like to call me on her way home anybody drive 81 80 uh, all the time she's screaming and yelling at me on the phone and it's because she's screaming and yelling at everybody on the, on the highway and I said to her I said Trace I said do you miss driving 81 tires for every day and she goes not in a million years and so just something very simple as far as being able to work from home has created beauty for so many people that would never have been offered to them if it wouldn't have been for the pandemic. So yes, the pandemic has been hard, but it has opened up so many doors and avenues for people to connect and really love and to show that creative and passionate side to them in order to serve each other. So that's what I've been learning. Have one more, and it's okay. <laughs> Joy, Pastor Joy, thank you. God is doing a deep work in me and um, releasing unforgiveness that um, I haven't paid attention to for a long time, but it's been sitting under the surface, and I am finding deeper and deeper rest in him leading me to release that. Anyone else with a quick one? Great. Hi. <laughs> so, um, I have not rested in weeks <laughs> or slept, but um, I think that something that has been really important to note about rest is that oftentimes it takes discipline, um, and so something that our family has done um, is we gather three times a day, 
and I don't know, I hate to call it a ritual, but we have a daybreak, um, midday, and nightfall routine we implemented. And it sounds like work when I say that, especially when I use the ritual word. But um, it has been something I really look forward to, and it's been really restful to wake up and sing a song and read through the Psalms. And then midday, um, oh, and also we say a prayer over our day. And then midday we do um, just a uh, prayer. And then at night we've been reading through Matthew and we sing the doxology. So it's super short, but so life-giving and <laughs> so um, restful actually because it kind of forces us to come back around our table or our front porch, which we have been turning into a space that is like my favorite place to be. Um, so I think that rest can also be uh, routines and discipline and just allowing yourself to, forcing yourself to go to that place um, is really important. When I think about rest being moving at God's pace uh, at the beginning of the pandemic and through the past year, I've had a lot of rest. I have entertained only family, a few close friends, all people I knew very well, um, easy people to be around. Um, the last couple of weeks, <laughs> um, God, as far as embodying worship, God has been teaching me that my hospitality has not been used as it should be during this time, and it's time to bring it back out. And he did it by bringing people into my life that I do not know, people that I would not normally spend a lot of time with, people who wouldn't tell me when they were coming or when they were leaving, which I am a planner. <laughs> you are welcome to come to my house. Just let me know you're coming so I can be ready. Um, and these people would it'd be like, we'll text you. They might text 20 minutes before they came. They were there for a few days. I was exhausted after they left, physically drained, because I hadn't been entertaining anybody except people I knew who think just like me. So uh, God brought it out to me that this was a way of worship, is to share hospitality with others, especially people I'm not comfortable with, and especially people who stretch me and take me out of my comfort zone. So as far as what idols of image, glory, and perfection have been toppled, I like a clean house when somebody's coming. My kids, <laughs> it was funny because when we would have big cleaning days, it was always, who's coming? And, you know, sometimes we clean just because that's what we do, but they didn't believe me. So those, those idols have been toppled, and I've had to release the idea that I am in charge of my time. I'm experiencing two more weeks of this with, again, people I don't know well, people I'm not necessarily comfortable with, but God's bringing them into my home for a few days. And so... Uh, I'm finding that resting is not taking it easy, but resting is moving at God's pace, and he's brought these people to me. Thank you, family. This is good. As you continue um, to process this rhythm of rest, share with one another. Share with one another.
because that is restful as well. Thank you so much for those that shared. Um, we are coming to a close, and I know it's maybe a little late, but this is, this is important, this is good. And we need to move towards anticipating forward. As people that know that we are delivered and are being delivered, what is in store for us? I don't offer this as a prophetic word to say that God is saying this. This is my observation as an elder of this family that there are three things that I would challenge us to be conscious of in the coming days. As we look back, as we look at where we are now, I would invite us to be on guard, to guard our hearts and our minds, to guard against those old friends' fear and pride of self-preservation and self-reliance, to guard against self so that we do not lose sight of what we are called to do, and that is to love the Lord our God and to love our neighbor. Guard against these things. Guard our hearts and guard our minds. The world, as we begin to re-engage a level of normalcy, is enticing us and tempting us to walk into those old rhythms. It is enticing us into drawing lines of fear and pride. And so Cornerstone, as a family, let's be on guard against those things, that we would remember our greatest commandment and the second commandment. Secondly, we need to remember the Lord's mighty hand and outstretched arm. And you've heard that spoken through the liturgy this morning, that phrase, mighty hand and outstretched arm. I mentioned D-Day in France and Normandy. To this day, 77 years afterwards, People in France will go to American, Canadian, British grave sites and lay flowers. Generations that weren't there still do that to remember the sacrifice that was done, to remember that deliverance. It is done deliberately, deliberately, so that they would remind themselves of deliverance. God's people, after the Exodus, instituted the Passover meal that they still do today that we still partake of in some way today. It is done deliberately because remembering is important. Because if we do not actively remember, it's obvious that we'll forget. So, family, we need to remember God's mighty hand and outstretched arm. Now, what does that phrase mean? Mighty hand. God, it refers to his right hand, that mighty hand. It means he does the fighting for us. God fights those battles for us so that we don't have to, and his hand is strong. It also means that that hand is strong enough in deliverance to pull us out from where we are. His hand is not weak. It cannot handle whatever problems we have. It is strong. And God's mighty hand does that. The outstretched arm, what does it mean? Well, Scripture doesn't really say, but we can draw some conclusions. His, his mighty or his uh, outstretched arm reaches, keeps us away from the enemy, perhaps reaches down to where we are to grasp us from where we were and pulls us out. I agree, but I think there's another image. Dennis, would you please come up? Quick demonstration. I heard this in a podcast. It was a rabbi, a priest, and an agnostic were having a conversation about this. And there's no punchline to the joke. It was a real story. Dennis, stand up here. Dennis is going to represent, because I couldn't think of anyone better who could represent God's strong hand. So Dennis, strong right hand, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
that strong hand that God has. And then the Bible refers to the outstretched arm as well. So if we do not guard our hearts, if we do not do this, Scripture tells us that every time people are delivered, what do they do? They want to go back. Exodus tells us that the people, once they were delivered, said to Moses, were there not enough graves in Egypt that you had to take us out into the wilderness and kill us? We said we wanted to stay in Egypt. So that fear, that self-preservation tells them that that's the place they want to go back to, right? And, and, and we, in our, in our weakness in that way, say to God, hey, maybe don't destroy that too completely. There were some things about that that I really liked. There were some things that were comfortable to that. Because humans always want to go back to the thing that we were delivered from, right? Secondly, in our pride and in our self-reliance, we want to join God and we want to say, we want to say, yeah, yeah, see that? See who's my side? And then he extends his, his outstretched arm. And I'm, and I'm reminded that Joy said, you know, in, in, in vision, that um, you rarely remember words that are spoken in a sermon, but you remember other things. This is my... Im- embodied act of worship. If you remember nothing else, remember that. Because that is the image of God's outstretched arm that I want to share with you. That he says to us that there is nothing back there for you. There is nothing good in pride or in fear that you need to go back to. I am separating you with that outstretched arm. I am keeping you away. And then can you help me up? And then with his mighty hand, he pulls me back up. That's the image of the outstretched arm. Thank you, Dennis. Give Dennis a hand. We need to remember not only God's mighty hand, but his outstretched arm that says there's nothing back there for you. Self-preservation leads nowhere except death. We're all going to die. You cannot do anything to preserve yourself against death. And self-reliance leads to nowhere except failure, because we are all going to fail. But God's mighty hand and outstretched arm says, I've got you. You stay back. Don't go back here. I'll take care of it. And that position that you're in, when he does that, yeah, it feels like discipline. It is. It's also a really great place to rest. (laughs) Right? I could have stayed there all afternoon. So we need to remember God's mighty hand and outstretched arm. And last, we heard this word a lot in our liturgy today. We heard about God's abode. When God delivers, he he brings people to his abode. And he invites us to abide in him. Just to abide in him. Not to preserve ourselves, not to rely on ourselves, but just to abide in him. How do we do that, family? I will say that it's in three ways. We choose to believe. We choose to believe that God is the God that will heal us, right? Now, belief is a difficult thing. It's a difficult thing. Because it's easy to believe that the sun will set tonight and rise in the morning. I will tell you that's knowledge. It's harder to believe things that we don't know for a fact. Whenever you are delivered from something, there is going to be trauma. And it is not by coincidence that after God delivered his people from Egypt, the first thing that he named himself as was not warrior, not deliverer, not mighty hand and outstretched arm. He said, I am the God that heals you. 
we need to choose, Cornerstone, to believe that God is the God that will heal us. We need to choose to trust. We need to choose to trust. Jeremiah 29, that verse, you know, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. I've struggled with that my whole life because it's not always evident. But we need to choose to trust that God has a future for us, that he wants to provide for us. And lastly, we need to choose love. We love, Scripture tells us, because he first loved us. And in the same way that God loved us, we need to choose to love, to love him, to love our neighbor. And love is a two-way street. We have to choose to receive his love. We have to choose to receive the love from our neighbors and choose to return it back. That family is how we abide in the Lord going forward. And it's not by coincidence that in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13 says these three, faith, hope, and love, and it says these three abide. Faith, hope, and love abide. But the greatest of these is love. So, band, you can come up. We are going to enter into a time of communion. It's a little late, but this has been a great morning. Cornerstone, as we look forward, I invite us to guard our hearts against fear and pride, to remember the Lord's mighty hand and outstretched arm, and to abide in him going forward by choosing to believe, which is faith, choosing to trust, which is hope, and choosing to love, which is the greatest of all of those. As we head to the table today, we celebrate the table of deliverance. I said there was one other story in the Bible that may be greater in a story of deliverance than the story of Exodus, and it's obviously the story of Jesus Christ. But it also shows the beauty of God's story of Exodus because he chose in that time and place to tell a story and to craft a story of his deliverance that he knew all along he was going to do in the person of his own son. And so rather than a Passover lamb, where we take the blood and we spread it over the doorposts, we now celebrate the blood of the lamb, of the lamb of God, who rescued us from the worst slavery imaginable, and that's the slavery of sin. And so in the same way that God delivered his people from Egypt, on the cross, through the person of Jesus Christ, he delivered each and every one of us from the slavery of sin. It was by his blood that he did this. And this is the new expression of God's eternal covenant with humanity. He is deliverer because that's what he does. And he chose in the person of Jesus to show us that deliverance. And as we partake of the juice and the bread, we remember his mighty hands and his outstretched arms. And we get another image of the outstretched arm, right? His hands were pierced and his arms were outstretched so ours wouldn't have to be. And he delivered us from the sin that enslaves all of us. So at this time, as the people of God have done for thousands of years, we remember God's deliverance through participation in the Passover. Band is going to play some music. While the music is being played, we worship. I invite you to go back, grab your... Um, portable cup and bread. There is gluten-free bread if anyone needs it separately. Grab those, return to your seat, and uh, finish worshiping, and then we'll partake of the bread and the cup.